Welcome to the New England Football Show, presented by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirkson. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? Doing good. How are you guys? Doing good. Doing good. Doing good. Well, we're two and a half weeks away from the NFL draft, which is hard to believe that it's that close. Usually it seems like the season ends and it seems like it's it's four or five months away and you got plenty to deal with before you get to this point, but we've gotten through all that stuff. We've gotten through the, the bowl games. We've gotten through the combine. Now we're, we've made our way through the pro days. Now it's all about these visits, these top 30 visits and the draft. And there's a lot there to talk about. I'm going to start there, but before we do that, I do want to remind you that if you are looking into selling your current home or you're a first time home buyer, want to get pre-approved for a mortgage, Give our good friend Herb Devine a call at Mortgage Right, 781-254-2846. You can also visit situate.mortgageright.com today. Herb and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends, to take any questions they you may have. All right, gentlemen, obviously, as I mentioned, the NFL draft is about two and a half weeks away. It's actually two weeks from this Thursday night. And I think that when you look at where the Patriots are right now, they still have pick 14. They haven't made any deals to move up or down in the first round. They have any, haven't made any deals, and they obviously won't make any deals with the rest of their board more than likely. But when you look at where they are right now, and I, and I kind of want to start the process of talking about the draft over the course of the next couple of episodes, I want to start off with by asking you guys, what do you think, in your opinion, are their top three needs? Well, I think that you get a tackle. Right or left, it doesn't matter. Just somebody who can play the position. Um, corner, I'd like to see a, a tall corner because they have mostly short ones right now. Um, I wouldn't mind to see them get another receiver. I don't know if it's a top three need, but it's something I wouldn't mind them getting. But more than anything, I with that first pick, I don't want them to go by need. I want them to get a good player, you know, like a good player, best available. Go best available with that first pick. If there's a player there, I mean, like uh, you got into this a little bit with um, with your Bajan Robinson thing. If there's a really good player, even if you get – if you got Robinson, I'll take him. You know, I don't need in that first. Um, so for me, well, Sony Michelle scares me off from taking a running back that early. Um, but I see both of your points over the past week or so. He's, he's not just a running back. I think he's just an all around, you know, kind of talented football player. So I could see them doing it, but, um, I think tackles number one. Um, I put up, you know, one a and, and one B with receiver and not just any receiver. I think you need a dynamic playmaker and this isn't my, my Zay Flowers, you know, banging the drum again, but um, oh, it is a little bit, maybe. <laughs> um, no, I do think you kind of need that, just that ultimate playmaker that they don't have. But um, I think they end up going tackle. But I think Adam's right. I think you need tackle, receiver, and corner too. You absolutely need a corner. Um, it's just at this point, there's so many needs. I, I really don't know what they're going to do yet. Like I have no clue. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but. It's one of the you know first years in a while where you can say they can really go any route. They can do a number of different things. So, um, 
but yeah, those are my, my top three. And if I had to say one more than another, I would say playmaking receiver. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, the needs thing is interesting to me because I don't think they have any more needs than they've had in recent years. If you if you draft based on need at 14, I think you got to use that pick to draft a corner, especially if by chance a Devontae Witherspoon or Christian Gonzalez, highly unlikely, but if one of those guys were to fall to you at 14, you really have to strongly consider it. In this day and age, you need that long boundary corner that can match up on the backside against some of the elite split ends in the league, the Justin Jeffersons, the Stephon Diggs. They don't have that guy right now. So if you're drafting purely on need, you got to take a corner, in my opinion. I think that's their number one need. I think it's their number one priority. I know people want to say it's offensive tackle, and I'm not saying this because they took a guard last year, but this is a deep enough draft at that position where you can get a quality player in the second round. You don't necessarily need to take an offensive tackle in the first round. The other thing to keep in mind here, and, and I, I seemingly say this every year, I would love to see them trade down because now if you trade down, then you can address that offensive tackle position possibly with a Darnell Wright and Anton Harrison, a guy like that in the 20s. Playmaking receiver sounds good on paper, but I think this receiving core is deep enough that you really don't need to use a pick on a receiver in the first round. You can get an impact player at that position now on day two, well into day three even. I, I just I know that there's there are a lot of people that are clamoring for the Jackson Smith and Jigbas and the Zay Flowers of the world, but is that really a need at 14? It's interesting because we're going to get into their top 30 visits here in a second because they may end up agreeing with you guys in that that might be a position that they heavily focus on for whatever reason, given so far what they've had in terms of their visits. But for me, I, I, I would like to see them take a corner there. Now, the thing that's interesting with the Patriots is when you look at first-round defensive backs, the highest they've ever taken – a defensive back in the Bill Belichick era is 24 when they took Brendan Merriweather. 27 is the highest they've ever taken a corner in the first round, and that was Devin McCourty in 2010. So traditionally, they have not drafted corners that high, and I suspect they probably won't go corner this year either, only because they have had a lot of success drafting guys in the middle to later rounds, and they've had a lot of success with priority free agents, Malcolm Butler, J.C. Jackson, Jonathan Jones. So I, I, I'd i like to see them go corner in the first round, but I suspect they probably won't. If they don't, then yes, you could see offensive tackle in play. You could see wide receiver. Or, and this is where I agree with you, Adam, they might just say, and this has been Belichick's philosophy in the past, they might just say, screw it. We're going to take the best player available. And if it's B. John Robinson, so be it. If it's Lucas Van Ness, so be it. If it's Miles Murphy or Brian Brissy, so be it. We're going to take the best available player. When you're picking at 14, you can do that because if you're picking them top 10, you have more defined needs. If you're picking 15 or less, you're on the doorstep of contending and you need a piece to, to fill in a certain spot. When you're picking between, let's say, 10 and, and 15, you can, you can take the best player available. You're in a pretty good spot that if a guy that could have been a top 10 pickup but got pushed down because four quarterbacks went in the top 10, if he falls you know, on your lap at 14, you got to take him. And we've seen this before with the Patriots, right? Like, for example, in 2004 when they drafted Vince Wilfork, he fell to them. I mean, they were sitting there. He was a top 15 talent, and he falls to them. So uh, 
I could see another scenario here where they say, you know what, we're going to take the best player available. Now, I wrote that piece on Bijan Robinson because I get it. Look, the running back position has been devalued in this league. By and large, you no longer use a first-round pick on a running back. And I know you have Ramondre Stevenson. You have the two young backs. You signed James Robinson. You brought in Ty Montgomery last year. He's still on the roster. But for me, if a player like B. John Robinson is sitting there at 14, you got to consider it. Now, I will say this. I think that the Patriots are going to be a popular target for teams that are looking to trade up to take a player like Robinson. So they could certainly leverage that into a trade down and add a couple of more picks. Now, of course, the top 30 visits have begun around the league. And, and when you look at this Patriots top 30 visits list, and I'm going to read it out to you guys. I'm going to read it out loud for you, I should say. I'm going to read it out loud for you because what I what I want to do is I want to get your thoughts on this because, as I said to start the show, this top 30 list in recent years has been a pretty good indicator of what the Patriots' thought process is in the draft, okay? As of this weekend, so far, they've had in for visits. And again, these are their top 30 visits. Jonathan Mingo, wide receiver Ole Miss. Jordan Addison, wide receiver USC. Cody Mausch, offensive tackle North Dakota State. Emmanuel Forbes, cornerback Mississippi State. TJ Luther, wide receiver Gardner Webb. Zay Flowers, Kevin Stone's guy. Boston College, Broderick Jones, offensive tackle Georgia. Jamie Robinson, safety Florida State. Nolan Smith, outside linebacker, edge Georgia. Michael Wilson, wide receiver Stanford. Now, as I mentioned, in recent years, this top 30 list has kind of given you an idea of where they're going to go. And in fact, when you look at their last two top 30 visit lists, they've taken a decent amount of guys that they brought in for visits. Two-part question here for you guys. One, what do you make of this list? What does it tell you about what their thought process could be? And two, do you think that they're going to follow recent history? And do you think that they're going to they're going to they're going to take some of these guys that they bring in. I mean, you wouldn't use a top 30 visit on on these guys if you weren't interested in them or or wanted to bring them in and possibly draft them. Yeah, I think um to me it's a lot of receivers and tackles. Um so that said as everybody kind of thinks is that they are going to go one of those directions at some point. Um Something tells me they will. The, the Mouch guy really intrigues me from uh, North me Dakota too. State. Me I too. mean, it I, reminds me a lot of Logan Mankins. Yeah, but a more yeah. athletic version. Yeah, I think he'd be a nice right tackle. Um, you know, or or a guard. I think he's got versatility. I think he comes from a program in North Dakota State that the Patriots kind of have a good respect for. Um, and really, everybody should respect that program <laughs> as good as they've been the last 10 years. One of the best programs um, in, in college football. Right. Um, so I like him a lot. I, you know, I like the receivers they brought in. Addison's a, a really good player uh, out of USC. So, yeah, I think if one of those players is there or even sticking around later in the second round, they can get one of those guys. Um, but, again, I just, you know, I, I always think when – People think they're going to zig, they zag. So maybe they're not going to look at any of those guys. But I mean, there's there's always the chance that they weren't impressed by any of them. So um, well, I mean, maybe people are thinking if they zig, they zay. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. Who knows? Very yeah, good. Very joke, good. I get it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, that's one of my thoughts on it. You've had worse. Um, 
So, Adam, I'm glad you said that because I do think, look, we can all say, hey, we think they're going to go receiver. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. What happens if a kid like Richardson drops to them? You know, will they ever take a chance on him? You know, so we, we kind of don't ultimately know what they're going to do. But I do think this indicates how important they think receiver is right now. Um, again, I just keep going back to that playmaker. And I know it's not – I should say I know the draft is – ultimately you can find it somewhere. But 14, man, there's just a lot of talent, um, a lot of talent up there. And I do feel like they feel a need where they have to go get someone explosive, someone elite, um, someone that can make a difference right away. So I hope it's receiver. I hope this is an indication um, of them doing that, even if it isn't Zay. Um, and just one side note, too, they've also talked to Sean Coyne um, from UNH, which is really intriguing for us. Um, he ran a 4-4-8 at that Holy Cross Pro Day and. Um, he's a really sneaky good athlete. So um, I know he's not going to get you know drafted by the Patriots, but it's an interesting name to watch just locally, you know, down the road here too. Yeah. He's going to be joining me for field of draft next week. Uh, he was scheduled to be on tomorrow night, but Sean's going to join us the following week. Yeah. I don't like that. They brought in this many receivers. I don't like it because I don't think it's a position of need and this whole, and I will say this, this whole playmaking receiver thing is so overblown in football. It's such bullshit it drives me up a wall because everybody wants Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and that's nice but what did the Miami Dolphins win with them they made the playoffs and they lost and you can make the argument okay Miami made the playoffs the Patriots didn't okay well touche congratulations you got me there at the end of the day why bring in this many receivers I don't understand it it's not the only reason I see them doing this is because they've got a lot of guys on expiring contracts at the position Devontae Parker is up after next year. Kendrick Bourne is up after next year. So Mike Kosicki, even though he's a tight end, I think they're going to move him around a lot. He'll He's only on a one-year deal. So my point is if they do take a receiver in the first round, in many ways, yes, they'd like to maximize that player this year, but it's going to be more with an eye to the future. And I just – for me, I like Jonathan Mingo. I think he could be a poor man's A.J. Brown, not as explosive as Brown, but similar type player. But Jordan Addison, no thanks. Wiry thin. Uh, TJ Luther's a return specialist. Uh, Zay, look, we love Zay. 5'9", buck 82, can be a difference maker at all three levels. There are many people that believe he's the best receiver in this draft. I happen to be one of them. Would I take him at 14? No, I wouldn't. And I probably wouldn't take him. Even though I think he's the best receiver in this league, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba probably has more of a ceiling. So I, I, I still think that ultimately he goes first and maybe even Quinton Johnson might go before Zay. But if you said to me they're going to take Broderick Jones out of Georgia, I'm in. I know a lot of people are going to say, well, they, they you know, the Isaiah Wynn experiment failed. I, I understand that. But but Broderick Jones is a different deal now. He's about 6'5", 302 pounds. He's uber athletic. He can run in all four directions. He's got the he's got the length, he's got the athleticism, he's got the feet to be a 10 to 12 year player in this league at left tackle. He checks off pretty much every box. So for me, if you tell me that they take him at 14, I'd be happy. Uh, Nolan Smith is a freak. He was a number one recruit in his recruiting class. He is a freak athlete, a guy that can make a real impact as an edge. He missed a handful of games at the end of last season for Georgia in their run to a national championship. But when he's healthy, he's one of the best players in this draft. I'm not surprised they brought him in. Michael Wilson is a guy that I think, again, bigger receiver, over 6'1", a guy that can make plays in contested contested catch situations. 
He gives him a guy that could be a possible vertical and red zone threat. And and finally, Jamie Robinson, I think, is a guy who is interesting because safety is a position that when you look at it on paper, you got Duggar, you got uh, Phillips, you got Bledsoe, you got Peppers. But here's the thing. Bledsoe is going into his third year, so he's going to have one year left on his deal. Duggar's a free agent after next season. I believe Phillips is a free agent after next season. You got Peppers for this year and next, but the bottom line is safety could end up becoming an area of need. So that's a sneaky position that I don't think a lot of people are talking about, but between guys coming up on their contract years after this year and McCourty's retirement, that could be a position at 14 to keep an eye on. I know a lot of people are going to say, you got to be kidding me. They're not going to take a safety. Yeah, they might. And if they don't, it's certainly a position that they're going to target in day two. So I think when you look at this list, I think it's pretty telling. I mean, obviously, you'd have to think with the amount of receivers that they've brought in, they view receiver, especially because of the expiring contracts as a, as a position of need, potentially. Um, the fact that they've only brought in one corner is interesting to me. They obviously don't think the same way we do, that corner is an area of need. Thus, my belief that they're probably not going to take a corner in the first round. But definitely, I think when you look at this list, it's it's interesting. If nothing else, it, it just goes to show you what their thought process is. Ultimately, though, I will say this, and I will continue to maintain this, and I could be wrong. I still don't see them taking a receiver at 14. I just don't. Because when you look at a guy like Mingo, he's a pretty good value on day two. You can get him in the third round. So he's a day two value. Uh, there's a lot of guys out there. That's the nature of the game today, receiver, right? I mean, you can get a good receiver, as I said earlier, well into day three. So um, interesting list for sure. But I'd be surprised if they went receiver at 14. And and honestly, even though I want them to go corner, like I said, I'd be surprised if they went corner too. With their ability to develop that position, they probably don't think that they need to. You are watching slash listening to the New England Football Show presented by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirkshin. And I do want to remind you guys out there that if you're looking into selling your current home, or you're a first-time home buyer, give our good friend Herb Devine a call at 781-254-2846. You can also email Herb at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends, to take any questions you may have. Call or email Herb today. He is one of the best in the business. I promise you, he is going to take care of you. All right, gentlemen, let's switch gears here now and talk some college football. Of course, on Saturday, me and Adam went down to Stores, Connecticut, to visit the Yukon Huskies. And I want to start there and I want to talk about the Huskies real quick. We did do a recap live stream after our visit. Adam and I also have a couple pieces up on anyfootballjournal.com. And by the way, we love the Yukon fan base, big supporters of ours. They read our stuff. And I, I want to say thank you to the Yukon fan base. Yukon, UMass, those two fan bases, top flight, man. They love their schools and they will, they want content, content, content. Not that fans from other schools that we cover don't, but the UConn-UMass fan bases are in particular, they're, they're pretty special fan bases. They care, they're engaged. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting, Adam, that, you know, after we, we did that live stream and we talked on the way home, you know, we were both very impressed with what we saw on Saturday. Now, look, I'm not going to sit here and, and pump UConn's tires like Stone would pump BC's tires or like our good friend Alex Barth announcing last year that BC was a national title contender. I'm not going to go that far, okay? We're not let, – let's not get on the silly train here. But, Kirchner, I thought you made a pretty good point about this UConn team. Their ceiling is 9-3. and three. 
And when you look at that schedule and what they have back, again, I don't want to sound like stone with BC here, but it is possible. Yeah, well, look, we go floor, right? Honestly, their floor is way higher than it was last year. I mean, just in general, there's so much more talent and depth on that team this year, especially on, on the lines like we talked about. They have good line play. It's good represent. Very good line play. They're like the power fighting that guys that got coming back, back there. So I think they're for six of six wins again. I think if they can, that's if they don't play all that well. I think that's still where they get to. But again, you look at their ceiling. They've got five good running backs. It, you know their line play is good. I like their quarterback back room i think at receiver but again they have depth there as well and this team is is going to run the ball the the offense is predicated so given that and those are things that if you can do well like i said in my article this was the number 33 team in the nation rushing last year this had a good rushing attack last year and a lot of those guys are back the line's better i just i can't see them not being a good running game this year so if that's your your base that you build upon you can get to nine wins on but that schedule it's really if you go through it i mean some people might say wins honestly there's something they get above nine wins uh at least in the early season but i was impressed so um really they have, they have a lot of A ton of they literally go five guys that can be college football back. So I was I was really impressed. I have two questions for you guys. Um, one, if you remember right last year when we were there, probably the same time of year, maybe a week or two difference. Um, and we talked about this last week at UMass too. The sense of um, kind of the culture being in place. Was that kind of very evident this time around? I assume yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I think, yeah, no, I, I don't, I think the culture thing is, isn't is a thing when you're in year two mm-hmm. in, in many ways, especially it's more important for a program like UMass who's looking to make some major gains this season. They need to take some major steps. I think in the case of UConn, when you win six games and you go to a bowl game, the culture was established during the course of the season. I, I I think Adam would agree with me on this. I I thought it was a really workmanlike atmosphere. I I think that you know that the players know what's expected of them from Jim Moore and the coaching staff. I think that there's a and there was an air of confidence with this football team. I think that they believe they could be better than last year. And again, when you look at them on paper, they should be better than last year. I mean that the schedule is easier than last year. It sets up better for them. But I also think the other thing is, to Adam's point, you got five backs that that could touch the ball and make an impact, led by Victor Rosa, who looks like he's put on about ten pounds. He looked bigger, stockier. You got Devonte Houston, who scored on on a forty-eight yard touchdown run the other day. I mean, he's a home run hitter in the backfield for them. But I think to me, perhaps their biggest addition in the portal was Joe Fagnano, the quarterback out of Maine. Look, Joe was really good at Maine the last three years. And I think you bring in a kid like this who has played a lot of football. He knows Charlton's offense. He played for him at Maine. 
I think he's a steadying influence, and I think he gives them a guy that if he needed to play, they, they'd be fine. You know what I mean? And when you look at the, the snap distribution on Saturday, him and Zion Turner split reps. So, you know, it, I think it's one of those things where if this football team can stay healthy, which was a problem for them last year, they had a lot of injuries, but if this team can stay healthy and they can capitalize on what they have up front, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about their defensive line, which I think has some legitimate talent with Sequoia McDuffie and Dalmont Gordine and Eric Watts. I mean, and then you got Jackson Mitchell. This isn't hyperbole. He's one of the best linebackers in the country. He was an All-American last year. So, I mean, this team has the requisite pieces that if they want to take that next step and win seven, eight, even nine games, I think they can. And then you look at what they did in the portal with Fagnano, Lewis Hansen, the uh, St. Sebastian's product transferred in from Michigan. From what we saw on Saturday, He's going to make a difference for them at tight end. They're a little thin at receiver, but outside of that, this is a pretty pretty good football team on paper. Yeah, so I asked the first thing just because, again, last year, them and UMass were in the same boat to start. So I was I was curious if that was if that was the case. I expected it to be, especially with Jim Mora. Um, every time he spoke last year, there was a sense of, you know, we're not satisfied with, with anything we do. So – I'm glad to hear that. My second question for both of you was about the quarterbacks. Um, it feels like that's going to be a competition basically throughout summer. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would think so. I think even though um, Zion Turner uh, started last year as a freshman, you know, I think Fagnano's got a lot of experience. He's a good player. Um, he He made a lot of good throws this weekend. So, I mean, I think it's good. You want to build the depth in the competition at the quarterback position and really every position. But I think um, I think those two are sort of – and I'm very interested to see uh, what Roberson does um, because – Yeah, I mean, no, let's he, not forget about him, man. And he's back. Yeah. Taquan Roberson is back, and he'll be ready to go by fall camp. So he's going to be in the mix too. Don't, don't rule him out. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, no, I think the quarterback position for UConn, they've got a strong room. And I think, look, Zion Turner took you to a bowl game last year. He's he's going to be in the mix to be your guy again. You bring in Fagnano, who knows the offense, multi-year starter. You got Roberson coming back from the knee injury. He's already back. He's throwing, but he's not going to participate in, in team activities. They've got a pretty deep room. And, of course, let's not forget, Wachusett's Tucker McDonald enrolled early. He's there for spring ball. He looks like he could be a really good fit in Nick Charlton's offense. So, for me – yeah, I think they have a deep quarterback room. I like what they did there. I think that their tight end group, which was a little bit of a liability for them last year, is a, is a deeper group now. Lewis Hansen's going to be a weapon for them. I, I cannot believe that he that Michigan let him walk. Like, that blows yeah. me away. I understand you had, you had all and you had schoolmaker in front of him. But, I mean, come on, man. I mean, the, the kid is a really good football player. And you let him walk out the door, and, and that's UConn's game. I mean – I thought that they did a pretty good job on Saturday of moving him around. I think he's going to be a matchup problem. I think the biggest thing with UConn is defensively, the front seven is going to be good. Is that secondary going to hold up? They have a couple of transfers coming in, but they got to replace Trey Wortham. They have a lot of guys there that you like physically, and they got a lot of guys that played last year. But if there was a question mark with this football team the rest of the spring and going into fall camp, 
it's going to be the secondary. All right, let's uh, let's talk some spring game here. We've got a bunch of spring games this weekend. Friday night, you have UNH. They have their spring game. Our Ryan Barry is going to be there. Kevin, you're going to be at the Merrimack spring game. And then on Saturday, you and I are going to be at the BC spring game. And then I think you're going to go over to meet your duties as the Minister of Propaganda over at Holy Cross and cover their spring game. <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah, I, I'm not, no. Um, I, I'm, I think secretly you're, you're Chesney's agent. But anyway, um, let's get some thoughts on these games. And, and, and I want to start with the Friday night games real quick. UNH coming off a great year. They get a share of the CAA title, a lot of talent back. On offense, Dylan Lobby, you got Max Brosmer. You're going to have to replace Brian Espinette, Sean Coyne at receiver, but they're they're deep there. They've recruited well there. Offensive line has a couple of guys, Patrick Flynn, that they need to replace. By all accounts, the offensive line has had a good spring. Defensively, front seven still really good, led by Josiah Silver. Um, you got a really good linebacking core back as well, led by Bryce Shaw. Uh, when you look at UNH, this spring game is is a culmination of a good spring for them, but now they need to carry that momentum into the fall. But the bigger question for me is, can this team do what they did last year? I loved them last year. I said it over the summer. I thought that when you look at what they had back, I know it was Santos's first year. I thought they were a team that could make some noise in the CAA. They ultimately want a piece of it. But do you think that this is a team, and we're going to preview them over the summer, so we don't have to get too far ahead here. But do you think this is a team based on what's happened this spring that can carry that momentum from last season into this fall camp and be as good this year? I think definitely. Because I kind of just just from following UNH over the years, they always seem to be good. Like a couple of years ago they had a bad season, but they are never really struggling to me. They're always in the mix to win the league, make it to the playoffs, you know. You know, and the thing that that I always notice about UNH whenever I see them in person, as opposed to watching them on TV, is just how physical they are. They are how good they are at the line of scrimmage. You know how much they hit you for four quarters. They make it difficult to play well, and so I feel like that's just how they are. And I think that's how they'll, they'll continue. I think they're gonna be very good, and again, just be one of those teams that is hard to put down. Yeah, Adam, I'm with you. And for me, that could, it goes back to, you know, Coach McDonald and the culture that, that he built. Having Ricky, you know, as your head coach, a guy who played for him, well, the culture didn't drop off at all. When Ricky took over, that team took on his swagger immediately. And, John, you were on it early last year, um, even in camp. We talked about it ad nauseum last year. That team took on the personality of its head coach, and it served him well. They... They battled Holy Cross in that playoff game um, in miserable weather. So, yeah, um, I expect them to be right back at the top. And, again, the two biggest names that are back, it's Brosmer and, and Lobby. So you have two of, if not your most talented players back. Yeah, you have some questions on defense, but if you can score points, it's half the battle, right? So um, mm-hmm. CAA is, is obviously extremely competitive. But, again, I just go back to the team plays the way Ricky coaches. Um, and, and I think that's probably the biggest compliment that we can give them. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And of course, Dan Kern, who was a former UNH assistant, is a head coach at Merrimack. Merrimack coming off a really good year last year. This was an important spring for, <clears throat> for the Warriors, though, because they had to replace a lot of familiar names, Anthony Witherstone, Rodney Sampson, Jakari Carter. 
there are a lot of guys that were keys to their success the last couple of years that are gone. Can Merrimack use this spring as momentum going into the fall and repeat what they did last year? I think I was just saying, sorry, Adam, I think they have to. Um, you can't, they've built so much momentum over the past, you know, you want to call it three years now, but really, really two years and specifically last year, you know, being a win away from being a conference champ, you can't, you know, slide back now. And I know Curran feels the same way. I was talking to him today, actually, about, you know, Friday's game, and they're excited to get after it and um, and hit, really. Like, they're not going to take it easy on Friday. Um, and that's not to say, you know, they're going to go full bore and, and try to hurt each other, but um, they're treating this game as a as a springboard for um, the rest of the offseason and, and heading into training camp. But, again, I, I just go back to you can't lose that momentum that you've built over the past few years, especially with recruiting. Yeah, and again, I just like the way um, – I really like the way Merrimack has recruited over these last few years. That's that's the lifeblood of your program, and I think every year I look at the guys they bring in and I'm like, this was a smart offer, that was a smart offer. You know, like I, I feel like they recruit this area as well as anybody, uh, and, um, and it, I think that will just show with the, the quality of player they produce. Yeah. And, and we talk about this all the time. I mean, not only are they producing quality college football players, but they're producing guys that NFL teams are interested in and, and XFL, USFL, CFL teams as well. So, I, I mean, not only are they recruiting guys that fit what Kern and his staff want and help Merrimack win, but they recruit guys that can play at the next level. And that's huge in the NEC. If you can, if you can recruit guys that have a shot at playing at the next level on a consistent basis in a conference like the NEC, you're going to have a chance to win the thing every year, and I think that they're pretty well positioned to do that. Now, on Saturday, of course, you have Holy Cross. They have their spring game. Boston College has theirs as well. I'm going to start with Holy Cross and the Minister of Propaganda for the Crusaders, Kevin Stone. You'll be there, Stone. You're going to bomb out of BC to try to get to Worcester to cover that one, leaving me by myself to do a post-spring game live stream. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate that. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, some thoughts on Saturday, being the resident Holy Cross expert on the panel, what are you looking forward to in this spring game? Um, so first of all, I prefer um, New England Football Journal beat reporter. Um, but uh, no, look, it's... Beat reporter? You're part owner. What do you mean beat reporter? Well, hey, what the hell I, are you talking about? What are you looking at the agent, If I was his agent, my bank account would say otherwise. So... Um, well, I'll, I'll leave that at that. But, no, look, having been at spring practice a couple of weeks ago, I expect it to be fast, I expect it to be physical, and I expect it to be detail-oriented. Um, having done last year's game as well, they'll split it up. They'll do some scrimmaging, um, but not as much as you think in a, you know, a quote-unquote game atmosphere. It'll be a lot more competition periods, um, stuff like that, and um, what you would expect from a, a, a Chesney coach, you know, team. Just really, again, detail-oriented, um, focusing on the little stuff. And, uh, again, there'll be some scrimmaging, but uh, I'm expecting Sluka to look good. And uh, I am curious to see the running back situation. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Replacing Peter Oliver is obviously maybe the biggest question this team has um, going into the next season. But, yeah, no, I expect it to be good. And um, they're actually going to be at fit and field this year. I think the past two years we're at. Um, well, they're only fitting. I mean. <laughs> it's not bad. Um, 
So again, they're they're really pumping this as a, a bigger event than they have in years past. And I think it speaks to just the amount of people that want a piece of Holy Cross right now, too. Yeah, I um I went to one of the Holy Cross ones a few years ago, um, back when I was still with Mass Varsity, and um it wasn't like a pure spring game, offense versus defense and stuff, but he, he had like a bunch of different periods and it was fun. He made it competitive and he made it a good time. And Chesney's great with that sort of creative stuff that you can do. So I think he, you know, he'll mix it up. He'll make it a, a fun atmosphere for the kids and for, and for and for the fans. I mean, spring games in general, you know, it's it's hard to there's that weird tension because you don't want to go too hard against your own guys. Um, but sometimes they can – I think uh, Chesney will do that. Yeah, and this is a big spring game for them because this has been a big spring for them because they have a lot of key players to replace. You think some of the names on, on defense, Liam Anderson, John Smith, Dan Kuznetsov. There's a lot of guys that they have to replace on that side of the ball, but just as much on offense. And while you bring back some guys up front and you bring back Matt Sluka and you bring back Jalen Coker, that they have a lot of holes that they need to fill. Now, the good thing is, if you're a Crusader fan, Chesney and his staff, and we've talked about this at length, they've recruited really well. So they've built up the depth chart. So they do have guys that are ready to step in and play. Question is, can they make an early enough impact for this team to be competitive coming out of the gate next year? Undefeated season is probably going to be tough to achieve. The schedule is tough early. they got to go to BC. They're replacing a lot of guys. But I'm curious to see who some of the guys are going to step up and fill some of these big shoes of guys that have graduated and left the program. And, of course, finally, Boston College has their spring game on Saturday. It's a big one for Jeff Halfley and his staff. They've had the entire spring to acclimate the new coaches in. They've had the entire spring to evaluate some key positions. Um, it's been an interesting spring at the Heights, and it culminates on Saturday. What are you looking forward in the B? What are you looking forward to? I should say in the BC spring game, the running game. It's all I've heard about now for you know a month and a half, and um, as you guys know, we can't see practice, so. This will be the first time we've seen, you know, what's been installed and um, what this, more importantly, what the new offensive line looks like. Uh, I'm really interested to see Ryan Hergel, see how he's acclimated into that line. Um, curious to see Drew Kendall. He was banged up pretty much the entire season. Last year, he's now at center. Um, well, I should say back at center and and really the leader of that line. And then, of course, Christian Mahogany up front, too. Um, he won't do a ton. He just started practicing in full, I want to say last Friday um, or last Thursday, whenever it was. But, um, yeah, I'm expecting them to, to honestly run the ball like 35, 40 times. Um, we'll see a little bit of Emmett Moorhead, but halfway has said, you know, we're not going to show much, as you'd expect, and the game's live on, on ACC Network. So um, there won't be a ton of stuff, but really just the offensive line and, and the running game as a whole. Um, I, I'm curious to see. There's been a lot of talk of it being, you know, much different. Let's see how different it really is. I agree with you. That's exactly what I was going to say. The offensive line, the running game. And when it comes to the running game, I'm not looking for – it's not like they, I want to see them run different plays or anything like that. I don't think it's a scheme thing. Honestly, it's an attitude. Can you yep. push the guy in front of you backwards and give, give enough hole for your running back to gain four or five yards? And I think, look, I mean, last year – they were dead last in in running the ball in, in in FBS play, 
So, look, just see if they can get – again, if they've been working on it all offseason, that's great. Uh, I'd like to see it, and then you know, I'd really love to see it against an ACC opponent, but this is just going to be a spring game. I, I definitely want to see how this offensive line looks. Yeah, and just one more, one more thing, too. The new transfer receiver, Ryan O'Keefe, uh, we've heard how fast he is. Haven't been able to see it, so looking forward to that as well. Yeah, and I want to see what they look like on defense. Tom Lukabu is gone. He's now the outside linebackers coach of the Carolina Panthers. Uh, it's going to be Coach Duggan and uh, Coach Az on defense co-coordinating it, so I'm curious to see what that looks like. And, and I'm with you guys. This is a big spring for them in terms of the development of the offensive line. Matt Applebaum is back after being the offensive line coach of the Miami Dolphins last year. There's a lot of familiarity there. Steve Shimko, the new offensive coordinator. Rob Chudzinski, the uh, veteran assistant on the staff. He's kind of the overseer of the offense. I want to. I want to see what that dynamic looks like. How th- how that's going to work. And and I am curious to see. Are they going to emphasize the running game? The running game has not been very good since Halfley has been here. One thing you can say about Steve Adazio, you can question the the fact that they went six and six, seven and five every year. But you knew that one thing they were going to do well is they were going to pound the rock. They were going to run the football under Adazio, and they did that. They had an identity. This offense, to me, has not had an identity in the in the last few years, and they need to develop one. And it doesn't have to be your running game, but, I mean, your running game's got to be a hell of a lot better than it's been the last three years because it has been borderline non-existent. So curious to see what that looks like. It, you know, and the other thing I'm, I'm curious to see is, is how, again, there were enough staff changes that it's a big deal. How do these guys – fit into things you know the staff changes last year didn't pay off boston college went three and nine for a variety of reasons not just coaching but chudzinski's in an elevated role shimko's in an elevated role uh you bring applebaum back they brought in paul rhodes to coach the outside linebackers veteran coach with with years of coordinating experience i think that was a great hire halfway told us when we talked to him that he goes way back with Rhodes, so he was somebody that he felt comfortable bringing in. But I think to me, again, this is an important spring game for this football program because they need to show progress. You know what I mean? That they need to look good. Not, not that it's going to be the end all be all. It's a spring game. So I'm make it more than it is, but it would be nice if they looked good, particularly on offense, if they looked good and, and they gave BC fans something to be excited about. I think it would bode well for the fall. All right. Before we wrap it up here, we want to do a little bit of high school football talk, specifically Massachusetts high school football talk. Two big jobs still open in eastern Massachusetts, Brockton and Everett. Of course, the Everett job opened up a couple weeks ago when Rob DiLoretto left after three seasons at the helm. And the Brockton job has been open all offseason with the retirement of former coach Peter Colombo. Adam, you and I have talked about this ad nauseum. Just some thoughts on those two jobs and – any idea of, of when they could be filled? Well, I think these are um, – I, I still think these are two great jobs. As far as public schools go, you don't get much better. These are the two winningest programs in the state, and to, I think they're still, still both top 15 winning winningest programs in the country. Um, and so, and there's tons of talent at both schools. Uh, Christian Zamore is at Everett, uh, is 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 a is a Boston College commit, and Cam Montero is a uh, is a very highly decorated decorated wide receiver at Brockton. And even if you're talking about um, kids that leave those programs and go to ISL schools, 
I mean, you had um, Samson Okunlola go from Brockton to Thayer, and uh, he was a major recruit, a five-star recruit uh, out of Thayer Academy. So there's there's talent at both of these jobs. I don't know the timeline as well at Everett, but uh, tonight I spoke to somebody uh, with knowledge of the Brockton job, and they said that uh, if it if it isn't announced by Friday, either Monday or Tuesday. So the the Brockton job's been open the entire way. They've had a lot of time with this. I don't know who they're going to pick, but I have my ideas. But um, but yeah, it, both those jobs are really good ones. I still think I still think a lot of talent in both cities still. Stone thoughts? Uh, no, it's just weird to to hear these two schools in particular. As a Waltham guy growing up, they were the the absolute standard. Um, Everett dominated the GBO when I was a kid, and and Broughton was always you know the Thanksgiving rival. So the fact that these jobs, not to say they're not wanted, but um, to hear that they're still open is is a little surprising. Brad, you understand it's it's a process, but um, strange times when you know both of these jobs in particular are are available. Yeah, and I was a little nervous there because you hadn't reminded us that you're a Waltham guy uh, so far into this show. So I'm glad you were able to get that in before the show ended. Uh, yep, Kevin sure. is a Waltham guy, in case you're wondering. Yep, sure. uh, Belmont Hill also made a hire today, by the way, and a pretty impressive hire. They hired Anthony Facillo, son of Tony Facillo, who was a longtime coach at Winthrop. They hired Anthony. Anthony most recently was the safeties coach at Harvard. He is now the new head football coach at Belmont Hill. I think that's a terrific hire for Belmont Hill, getting a guy who's coached at the collegiate level, who's got a lot of local ties. He Belmont Hill is going to be an appealing school for, for kids that are looking to play in the ISL and, and looking to play in college. Yeah, and having yeah. been – sorry, no, just having been uh, – particularly at their spring practices and uh, practices last year, uh, he's a very vocal guy, but and, and kids really walk into him. Um, you can tell kids like playing for him. So um, just agree with you. It's a, that's a great hire for that school. It is. I mean, to go from a college ranks to the ISL, I mean, that's, that's impressive. And, and, you know, it, you know, it's part of the job now acquiring players, you know, it, and players are going to love the fact that he can't, comes from Harvard. That's where a lot of these players want to end up. So I think that'll help. Yeah. And another former Harvard assistant, uh, Coach uh, Sash Thakar is the new interim coach at Bentley. So uh, definitely, again, <laughs> when you're hiring guys that work for Tim Murphy, th those are smart hires because they're going to be good, hardworking, disciplined coaches that are going to get the most out of their talent. They'll do well. Final thoughts, gentlemen, here before we put a bow on this week's episode. Just stick with us this weekend. Ton of football, and uh, I'll be at Harvard practice Friday morning, Merrimack Friday, and then, as you said, BC and Holy Cross Saturday. So um, still a little ways to go till the draft, but plenty of stuff going on. Yeah, we got plenty of stuff coming up, Kevin. I'm glad you mentioned that. This will be a, a busy week weekend for us. Adam, anything? Nope. Just, uh, you know, go to these spring games. They're a lot of fun. And if they'll, you know, they're not quite games, but they're as close as you're going to get. Yeah. I'm actually going to go off the reservation here a little bit and uh, talk hockey real quick. Uh Memo to Bruins fans. This Bruins team is not the 76-77 Canadians, so shut the hell up, okay? Fair. They're not – this is a JV team compared to those Canadian teams. That team had nine Hall of Famers. You'll be lucky to get three off this Bruins team, so let's just knock it off with comparing them to that team. They're not that <laughs> team. 
They're not even close. I that team had 11 total Hall of Famers. It's the greatest team of all time. I actually agree with you. Uh, but and, uh, you should. But it's a fact. But in fairness, when the, the you know the graphics are showed 10, 15 years from now, that's all that matters is they get to be in that conversation. That's all. Oh, sure, sure. And and, and look, I look, I, I am a Canadians fan, so I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like you know, I don't have a, a rooting interest in this. I would love to see Washington win tomorrow night, and I would love to see the points record come down to Boston at, at the Habs on Thursday night, and I'd love to see the Habs knock them off and cost them a chance to get it. I mean, look, I hate the Bruins. I'm an unabashed Bruins hater. Have been my whole life. I hate them more than any other team in sports, and, the, and I hate the Lakers, and I hate the New York Giants, but the Bruins are at the top of that list. So I will be feverishly rooting against them throughout these playoffs. I mean, I would love nothing more than another choke job. All that being said, I'm listening to all this nonsense on Twitter, and I love the Johnny come late leads too. It's amazing how many people come out of the woodwork when the team is good. Look, hat tip to them. They've had a tremendous season, an all-time season in many ways. I will give them their their due, but this nonsense that it's a different era, the goaltending's better now, yada, yada, yada. Stop. Just stop. That team is at another level. Okay, there's some all-time great teams in sports. That one is one of the all-time great teams in the four North American major sports. Let's let's just stop with the nonsense. The Bruins have been a nice story, but they're not that deep. All right, any uh, anything else? No, I actually agree with All you. Right. Anyway. All right, that is shocking. That is shocking right. that a a homie like Stone agrees with me. I can't believe it. I mean, it's doesn't happen often, folks. So this this might be worth. Uh, bookmarking because stone and i don't agree often on anything let alone bruins canadians although stone I, i'll give him his due stone recognizes that the bruins are perennial chokers and i'm banking on them choking again hopefully oh, that happens sooner than later i'm already mentally preparing for it so good, good good man smart man i would too if i were a bruins fan but then again i'd never be a bruins fan all right that'll do it for this week's episode for adam kirch and kevin stone i'm john serenitas until next week peace Bruins suck. <laughs>